celebration of Brandon Sanderson Cosmere universe of books and uh, graphic novels, eventually. Eventually. Right now it's just books and audiobooks. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Autumn. Hi, I'm Autumn. Who are you joined by? I'm joined by Tilly. Hi there, that's me. It's them. Um, so, basically, <clears throat> I'm hosting this podcast. You're hosting this <laughs> podcast, so I'm going to remember that, I'm going to behave. So, basically, we all have read at least a little bit of the books in Brandon Sanderson's sort of multiverse setting called The Cosmere, uh, whether that's Stormlight Archive, Mistborn, etc. And I think we all kind of like the books. I like them a lot. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're they're pretty good books. Yeah. Um, uh, Should we go I, I, over? You you finish your sentence. Sorry. Well, I think I might have been about to say the same thing as you, um, which is I was about to say something about like which Cosmere books I've already read. And right. Like, um. Yeah, I also have an icebreaker for us. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um. <clears throat> basically, um, to just give a quick pitch on what the podcast is. We're going to be reading through most, if not all, of the associated works in the Cosmere Umbrella. I'm sure there's something we'll miss or something. We're not going to, like, play the RPG or whatever. But we're going to read all the books. There's a lot of fucking Cosmere out there. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, we're going to read the books. We're going to chat about it. We're going to not just... I don't just want to approach this from a place of fandom, although I think we are... We, w- we might all consider ourselves fans of a sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, I... We do want to bring criticism to it and, like, discussion about themes and actually, like, get into what's going on and what works and what doesn't. Um, to that end, a little icebreaker for us. I'm yeah. going to ask you three questions, and you're going to give me your answer with no explanation and no, uh, you know, wishy-washiness. Okay. I'm going to okay. give you a question. You're going to give me a direct answer. Okay. Number one. All right. Tilly, mm-hmm. who's your favorite character in the greater Cosmere uh, setting? Just say who they are. Don't tell me anything about them. Just give me a name. I mean, I guess Kaladin. I feel like a doofus saying that. Because <laughs> he's like everyone's favorite. But yeah, sure, it's Kaladin. Autumn, favorite character? Kaladin. <laughs> That's not a fucking question. It's Kaladin. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> I think I also. <laughs> okay, fine, Nora. Who's your? Favorite? I think Seth right now. Okay, Seth is a strong choice. Just right. my coffee. <laughs> okay, next up, what is your favorite type of magic in any Cosmere book? Just tell me what it is. Don't tell me what it does. Don't tell me how it works. Just tell me what it is. Well, I don't have a good answer for this, unfortunately, because I've like I've not actually read that many of these books. And it, other than Elantris, which I just read for this podcast, it's been like a long time. So like I don't there's I don't have a good answer, sorry. <laughs> Do you have a particular surge that you like? Or you like no, cool? that's the 
that's the entire problem is that it's been long enough since I read The Way of Kings. I don't fucking remember what the different surges are and what they do. Like, you think I kept that in my brain since 2014? Are you kidding me? Like, no. Okay, Um, so your answer is the magic of imagination when reading a book. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That's the magic that I like. Uh... So, I have a similar problem to Tilly, except that I read all three Stormlight books six months ago, and I've already forgotten, like... Less than that. Yeah. Um, you were here. We were at this apartment, which we've only been at for, like... A no, 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 no. I read the Mistborn books since okay. we've been in this apartment. Anyway, uh, I will... I do remember enough to say light weaving. I think, like, the illusion magic that uh, is cool. I won't say who's doing that illusion magic because it's kind of just, a spoiler. That's but okay. Just saying, light weaving. Light weaving. Um, I think for me, the one that's most interesting to think about and tinker with is hemallergy. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. get into that eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting flash flood warnings on we our are. farms. Oh, great! Um, <clears throat> and our last icebreaker question is: What is your favorite? fake-ass fantasy word that Brandon has... Now, hold on. I mean, fake words, like Arteth or Gjorn, but also, you know, Voidbringer, Surgebinder, you know, Lightweaver, like any of these goofy... All this capitalized shit. All the cap- Any capitalized... Fuck, fuck those little words like Gjorn, right? What's your favorite <laughs> capitalized, unique word from one of these books? I've got my answer if you're still thinking, Tilly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I gotta think about this for a sec. It's definitely investiture, because I've read, <laughs> like, seven of these books now, and still only have a loose grasp on what it is, and it's, like, maybe the most important of the words he's made up. <laughs> it's not the most important. I will say... Wait a minute. hmm I think that's just a word? Like, I can believe that... I wouldn't be shocked. ...in a special uh, way, but, like... I'm gonna, I'm gonna see uh, investiture in the dictionary. We'll find out here. Now, I definitely do agree that like it's it's a it's a fake. It it fully deserves to be in this category. Mm, it's um, capitalized. Even <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the action of formally investing a person with honors or rank. So yeah, this is a real word. Yeah, but Brandon yeah. has made it a fake word. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. That's his power. That's what he's capable of. He can soul cast words into nonsense. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to come up with a great one for this one either. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, uh. okay, I. I do, uh, uh, at this moment in time, I am really like grabbed by the word. I guess. I guess it's just pronounced Aeon, A-O-N, just mm-hmm. because it's, like, come up a whole bunch in these first three chapters, and it's like, oh, what is it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, you know, that's that's sort of the point of, like, all of these capitalized made-up words is that you start reading the book, and you're like, oh, man, everyone's <clears throat> throwing this around. What the fuck is it? And it, it entices you. Um, yeah. So this uh. feels like kind of pure that at the moment. Oh, Yeah. Uh, I will say that I have read a decent number of these books. I've read all of Mistborn. Uh, I'm working through Oathbringer currently, so I read the other two, Way of Kings, and the other one. 
You know, the Way of Kings books. If we can call uh-huh. Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones series. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, and I've read a couple of the short stories. I've read a lot of the wiki and like read a lot of things that Brandon had said outside of the text. So mm-hmm. I have a different context for some stuff. Uh, very interested to finally get around to Warbreaker. Mm-hmm. Eventually. Eventually. Uh, I, I might have the highest number of books read of us here, maybe. But I've read them the most recently. Yes. I read all three Stormlight in January, February. I read uh, the first three Mistborn right before we decided to do this podcast, so maybe like July and June. Um, that's it for me. How about you tell me? Yeah, so uh, my my history with these books is that, like, um, years ago when I was in college, they were all super popular among my friends. And back then, I read Warbreaker and Way of Kings and started Words of Radiance. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, I stopped being friends with almost all of my college friends. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I haven't actually, like, read any Brandon Sanderson stuff in, like, recent enough for me to have a good memory of it, other than the first three chapters of Elantris, and also, like, uh, very briefly revisiting Way of Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I also have read, um, what's it called? The Emperor's Soul? Was that, like, a... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, read, I read The Emperor's Soul sometime last year, which was what, like, got me interested in these uh, at all. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just want to say, is there anything you're looking forward to starting out? Like, I'm most looking forward to Warbreaker as, like, a new thing for me. What what thing that you haven't read is most like, ooh, I'm interested to see that when we get there. Um, for me, probably Mistborn Era 2. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like, I, like... I'm I'm gonna read the new Stormlight when that comes out, but for most of the other uh, Sanderson stuff, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just put it off till it comes up on the podcast. And so, like, I did kind of like stop right before I would have started uh, Mistborn Era Two, and so that's kind of like, oh, I don't know what's going on there. Like, I don't know what that is at all. So, yeah, yeah I'm also uh, excited for Mistborn because, um, like, I actually uh, started Mistborn back in my you know my first Brandon Sanderson age. Um, but, uh, I got really turned off by, like, the way that, like, the opening chapters are with, like, um, you know, kind of, like, the the imagery of, of like, a plantation. Um. Oh, it yeah. Very, it's very intense right at the very beginning, and, you know, it was, like, 2013, and so I was like, um, I think it's inappropriate for a white author to be writing this, which, I mean, I still kind of believe that now, but... Not necessarily mm-hmm. in a way that would make me, like, say, and I will never read this book. Um, but that was what I thought back then. Um, so now I, I'm kind having, of, like... Having now just... I'm kind re- of like, uh, <laughs> sorry. sorry. You, <laughs> you go, go, you go. <laughs> anyway, the point I was trying to make is just that, like, I briefly peeked at Mistborn and then, like, immediately stopped and uh, uh, ignored it. Um, and so that makes me kind of, like, enticed to actually read it and, like, find out what the deal is with, like, yeah, the, the, I, I know, like, a tiny bit about what that magic system is, and that seems pretty sick, so. Yeah. Uh, having just read the first three Mistborn books and being a Mistborn fan, um, 
That early stuff on the plantation is wildly inappropriate. I will go ahead and say, um, we'll yeah. get there when we get there, but it's it's rough. <laughs> There's a lot of things in these books that are rough. Uh, not nearly to the point of this being like a Rothfuss joint or uh, with that other guy, Martin George R. R. Martin. No, the other guy, not. There's that other, isn't there that other fantasy author everyone always tries to get us to read? Uh, is it just Steven Erickson? Maybe? Robert I don't think Jordan? Jordan, we're dangerously close to reading oh, at any God. day. Oh my, <laughs> don't read the fucking Wheel of Time. It's <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very, very, very bad podcast idea for, about Wheel of Time someday, but it's that's not what no. this podcast is about. Oh my about. god. Um, this is like... It, so, like, all my friends who were super into Sanderson when I was in college were all, most of them, also really into the Wheel of Time. Uh, but their attitude towards the Wheel of Time was almost universally, well, I started reading this when I was eight. I'm not gonna not <laughs> finish it. And I didn't start reading it when I was eight, so I'm simply not gonna start. It's like cigarettes. <laughs> I, that makes a lot of sense to, <laughs> uh, to have Wheel of Time into Sanderson as like a pipeline. Yeah. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Did he work on the those last book and a half? I, I told someone in um, I told someone at work uh, when I was reading Stormlight. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm reading these books. I really like them. And they immediately hit me with, "Have you read Wheel of Time?" What if on this podcast we talked about Wheel of Time, but only the ones that Sanderson has written? <laughs> no. No. I, no. I would be I, I'd be more on board with that than reading the entire Wheel of Time, but I would still prefer <laughs> not to. Um, so, that's kind of a little introduction to us. Um, I guess we can jump into the book discussion. Yeah, for this first episode, we read the first three chapters of Elantris, uh, Brandon's first published novel. For this first book, we're going to be keeping with that pace of three chapters an episode. Mm -hmm. That pace will change as we shift through different books. Um, we're not going to read three chapters of Way of Kings at a time, probably. Because we'll be reading it for six years. <laughs> um, those books are long. This book, not quite as long. This is like a normal-looking book when I hold it in my hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one definite, like, element that you kind of lose with uh, reading these books in, like, a digital format, like an audiobook or, or an ebook, is that you don't get the visual effect of, like, oh, wow, I could, like, knock someone out with this thing. <laughs> um, I read... Uh, I read Mistborn all on my phone, and I read uh, Stormlight all physical, and I don't I don't know how, why it shook out that way. It just did that. That's what I did. Um, let me tell you, having the big floppy paperback for the Stormlight is much better than having the brick, like, fist-sized version. Mm -hmm. the, the, the mass market paperback. The, the airplane version. The airplane version. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's... Because, like, I think I... Like, you use the word brick. I feel like I've hear heard people use the word brick to refer to, like, big, thick, long fantasy novels before. Um, but the <clears> thing about the... It's, like, really accurate for the mass market way of kings. Like, it's not just, oh, it's, like, thick and heavy. It's literally... No, this is the exact, like, shape, dimensions of a <laughs> brick. I, I could build a house out of this. <laughs> yes. Um, but right before we get into um, 
like summary stuff, I will briefly touch on. I'm an audiobook reader. Uh, and an interesting thing about uh, Sanderson is that he has kind of like two canonical uh, audiobook people that he uses on almost all of his projects now, Michael Kramer and Kate Reading. They're two like really prolific audiobook people. Um, this first book, Elantris, uh, because they are two prolific audiobook people and they have uh, exorbitant rates, I'm sure, uh, is read by someone I've never heard of um, because Elantris was his first novel. And so... Listening to a different person narrate a, a Sanderson book is a very strange experience for me. Um, if I pronounce words oddly, that's why. If um, like if one of these characters shows up in a future Sanderson book and I start saying their name differently, it's because Michael Kramer and Kate Reading say it differently, and so I will just go with their pronunciations because they're. They're the people who do this. And being said, you're the only person with any kind of line on pronunciation for this. This book specifically has a bunch of pronunciation rules because, like, it's a language-based uh, story. Mm-hmm. So I will be deferring to you on, like, it's probably Serene, right? It's Serene in the audio. Right. Which sounds oh, goofy, and I might... Insist, I might call her Serene because Serene sounds goofy. It only sounds goofy because it looks like it should be pronounced Serene. Mm-hmm. Serene is probably a real name. Yeah, if you spelled it with some I's. Yeah. It's, it's only because it has E's in it that it looks odd. Um, how, what's the city called? K? Uh, I, I, it might be Ka-E. I don't, re- I, I don't re- quite recall. Because I know you're supposed to pronounce every vowel in a word in the Arlon. I, I don't quite recall um, some of the proper pronunciations, because they hit you a lot in this first chapter. Um, in these first three chapters. Luckily, the over at the Copper Mine, which is the uh, sort of Cosmere wiki, we have some decent summaries of chapters. I will say, be careful going to the Copper Mine, because it is a sort of um, it's all inclusive it's a it's an aggregate of all the Cosmere and they don't mark spoilers mm-hmm. and they will just state like oh this character this is what their deal is they showed up in this book and you're like well I didn't know they were in that book but now you do uh, so just be careful if you're gonna like poke around there alongside us uh, you might get hit with some spoilers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who would like to take uh, the summary on chapter one? Um, I can do that unless you want to, Tilly. Uh, yeah, please go ahead. Um, I also don't. Uh, if if you just finished warning me about not going on this wiki, so I wasn't going to go on the wiki. Um, but are you saying that it is safe to go on the part that just summarizes Elantris, or? I think so. Uh, I haven't seen anything here yet. This page seems to be a specifically Elantris-focused, it's specifically summary Elantris. It has all of the chapters down here. Uh, it doesn't seem to... I'm not seeing anything, at least yet, that's like, oh, and... Boyd shows up in this chapter, and this is his whole fucking deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, cool. So I'm just going to paste the link here into our chat for you. Um, so, chapter one, we were introduced to uh, 
Raiden? Raiden? I can't remember. Um, Raiden. Raiden. Yeah, I did find, like, a pronunciation guide on, on Brandon's website. Um, oh, good. In case you want that, um, I can post that link to you. Okay. Um, so Raiden um, wakes up one day, pretty normal day for him. He's uh, more hungry than usual. Uh, he calls a servant to his room. He is the crown prince of Erlen, uh, which is a big, important kingdom. And uh, he discovers that he has been hit with the curse of the Sheod, which uh, there there is a city basically like right outside the city that Raiden's living in, uh, Kai, or Kai, um, uh, uh, lost my train of thought, <laughs> um, called Elantris. Uh, at one time, there were these people who had this blessing called the Sheod, uh, and they lived there, and they were, like, immortals, and they were wise, and they, you know, gave out, like, like, their wisdom and their, like, everything, and there was a golden age for a very long time, and then all of a sudden the Sheod turned into a curse. People don't know what the deal with that is, uh, and basically, anyone can wake up at any time and have this all of a sudden, and, like, they have to, they're sent to Elantris where they're essentially damned, and so uh, Raiden is sent there, and he meets a buddy named uh, Galadon? 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 Uh, <laughs> Galadon, Galadon, <laughs> um, sorry, uh, meets Galadon, uh, and Galadon explains a couple things. One, um, that people who have the Sheod are immortal, and two, um, and we get an example of this, like, right when, um, Raiden enters the city, he, like, stubs his toe, and his toe is just gonna hurt forever, like, he, he, you don't heal. He doesn't have a heartbeat. Um, and so, like, any any damage that you take, um, like, is just permanent. Um, any damage that you take? <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if your HP bar d- depletes by any amount, it won't come back. So, yeah. You his... no longer have natural regeneration. Right. Um, and so, um, which... There is a scene of, like, as, um, uh, as Raiden is entering that he sees, like, you know, one person who is a beggar gets accosted by, um, like, kind of a band of, like, brigands, I guess, like, bandits and and 'er ne'er-do-wells, um, who, like, take his food from him, and they, like, beat the hell out of him, and as, as Raiden is having this explained to him, like, he realizes, like, oh, like, they, like, there was, like, some pretty graphic imagery around, like, necks and bones breaking a little bit, um, that was just, like, oh, he's not gonna recover from that. Like, he's, that is the, he will just deal with that for eternity. Uh, and Galadin explains that, like, yeah, there are people either end up, like, bandits or very very careful and most of the people here have just gone like completely nuts with like just constantly being in pain and not having any way to deal with it um more hungry and the chapter ends on raiden um he has like his father the king sent him to elantris with just like a little bit of food and raiden is like 
hey, Kaladin, I will um, give you the, the my food if you, like, hang out with me for a couple weeks and kind of, like, show me the ropes so that I don't end up just, like, you know, I don't end up being, like, beaten and being in pain for the rest of eternity, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's where we start off uh, the book. Um, yeah. It's... This chapter, I think, hits you with so much, like, explaining the dilemma that these people face and hits you so with so much, um, uh, like, proper nouns and, and like, um, setup stuff and exposition stuff that I don't have a good sense of Raiden as a character. I don't have a good sense of Galadin as a character, um... Like, and so it's, it, I don't have a lot to add, uh, to say about this chapter off the top of my head, um, because it's mostly just, here is the situation that this book is going to be about. It's very direct, mm-hmm. and it's very fast, and it gets started very quickly in a way that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. There's just definitely because, a lot of... Oh, go on. Uh, just because I'm used to Sanderson taking more time to slowly introduce a uh, challenge for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, in other books, it takes more time to get characters into the main arc of the story, and they usually have some other smaller thing going on at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 uh, the, the, the book... Okay, I was about to say the book literally opens on this, but that's not quite true because there's like a prologue. But um, the, the there's first like a chapter, prologue, yeah. Uh, but the first chapter does kind of literally open with like, "Oh, here's Raiden, and here's his problem," um, mm-hmm. uh, because it's like uh, Prince Raiden of Erlon awoke early that morning, completely unaware that he had been damned for all eternity. It's such a little like uh, flex. Like, okay, here's my main character and his big problem in the first sentence of my novel. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good first sentence. Um, All of these first three chapters start with, here's the character and here's their main deal in the first sentence. Mm-hmm. As like an introduction. Yeah. And I think that the first sentence of most Sanderson books are, are usually pretty good hooks. Mm-hmm. Like one that I do remember off the top of my head is, Seth's son, son, Valina, truthless of Chernovar, wore white on the day he was to kill a king. That's good shit. It's a good. It's a good line <laughs> yeah. to open on. Um, it, it, it it's uh, these like Sanderson opening sentences are a little funny to me just because they feel like they are all like fucking king shit, but they also feel extremely conscious of the fact that they are that. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. Like you, you know that he is going out of his way to have like some baller first sentences, <laughs> um, which is not a bad thing at all, but it is kind of funny. I'm I'm interested to see if we start picking out like oh that's a, such a like specifically Brandon thing to say uh, as we move forward. I mean yeah like when I I listened to three Way of King or three Stormlight books in like six to eight weeks. I uh, am very excited to go through this a lot more slowly because I have never gone through a book in a slow way. I either read it slowly and don't finish it or 
go through a book very quickly. And so I've never spent as much time in like picking apart like writerly things mm-hmm. as I imagine we will end up doing uh, in this in this podcast. Um, so the first thing that Randon does after being put in this new situation is find some way to exert power over another person and to establish a dynamic of authority with another person because he's a prince and that's what he does. Yes. <laughs> I do think it's kind of notable that like he's able to figure out really quickly like, oh, okay, everyone here desperately wants food. There's only one source of food. I have like some of the only food in this entire fucking city. Like that's power. I can use that. Yeah. Um like it it's it's not uh like it's absolutely like a princely thing to do, but it's specifically like something that comes across as like um not every um, you know character who's had power all their life also knows how to like recognize where it lies in a new situation and like mm-hmm. um, you know negotiate effectively in the way that Rayodin does. Um, it's honestly uh, in a weird way almost like at, at odds with like I think the sense that we get of like what his life has been up to been like up to this point has been a little bit that he's been like sheltered and his life has been fine and like now all of a sudden everything is ruined for him um but if that's the case he's like he's pretty good at adapting to the sudden disaster i i do wonder um because as we'll see in the next two chapters uh Arlon, or uh looking at sanderson's notes here um was it Araylone? yeah maybe um, something like that yeah, Arelone uh, is not a big important kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. only kingdom left that isn't part of the Fjordel Empire that is now like at its doorstep. And so I can also imagine being a like what's the word like a, a, a part of the ruling class of one of the few kingdoms watching the rest of the world be integrated into this empire, I can imagine that would prompt him to be more able to, like, recognize where power can be found. I I think that that sort of adaptivity, uh, that could be speaking to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, um, that would make sense. We do, He doesn't ever think about that, though. He doesn't ever really think about politics uh because he is too worried about his present like immediate situation but um you know it he had to he has to know shit right he's not he's (laughs) not a himbo he's not yeah that we know (laughs) i would assume that like yeah he has a broad grasp on i guess the geopolitics of his world certainly enough to have uh serene be interested in him. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's not really a lot to talk about um, with regards to his view of world events because he's so focused on, you know, survival and uh, like establishing like where he is and figuring out what's going on um, and how the Shadowed works. Uh, we mentioned there's a prologue. The prologue is also just on, I think, the back of the book or on the inside cover. It's basically just once there was Elantris or 
Elantris. Elantris. I'm saying Elantris. <laughs> it's, the emphasis yeah. is on E somehow, so Elantris. Um, but, uh, it used to be Elantris. It was cool. Sometimes people would transform into gods. That was alright. Ten years ago, all that broke, and now the transformations still happen, but they make you terrible, cursed people. They get locked up in the city and left to rot forever. Mm. No, there's not much in the way of a prologue compared to what we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of just like some some setup. Um, we should probably move on to chapter two, but I was just going to very briefly touch on there was one line about Raiden in this chapter that jumped out to me, which was that the Sheod happened to other people far away. Like, that's the thought that he thinks, is that, like, Sheod doesn't happen to the crown prince of Erelin. The, the Sheod <laughs> happens to other people, you know. Um, Not me. Yeah. Which and, is... And it's kind of... Sorry, you it, go. It's... It's clear that, like, he knows that that's kind of not true, right? Like, yeah. you know, like that, that that he understands on some level that, you know, um, there's not actually any kind of... It's not like he really believes that the Sheod only takes people who don't live in his city or people who aren't politically important or whatever. It's just that right. that's, like, how he's coping with that idea. Yeah. Like, he realizes he's being stupid as he's saying it, but that is the thought that crosses his mind. But it, it hasn't prompted a, oh, I'm the same as everyone else. Uh-huh. He's still a prince. He's still a prince. He's not going to have the revela- revelation of, like, oh, we're all the same, uh, and the only difference between me and someone else who has the shield is that I have a big fancy house. Mm-hmm. He's not... To be fair... To be fair, it's not like he does have a big fancy house anymore. Like, he's he's kind of not a prince anymore. I mean, um, he could become yeah. a prince of Elantris. He could have the biggest <laughs> fancy house. He gets put into a Dark Souls level. Like, the beginning of this oh is just like the, the starting stage of any Dark Souls, where all of the, like, decrepit village with all of the dregs running around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Brandon, like, is a gamer, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> on the next episode of Export Audio, whenever we get Molly on, we are going. We found in his most recent newsletter uh, his list of his top ten video games ever, and I am going to be reading that on the next episode of Export. It's a very funny list to me. Um, so look forward to that, everybody. I can't wait to hear yeah. Sanderson's thoughts on fucking Chrono Cross or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who wants to take? Chapter two. Chapter two. I I could do it. Okay. Sure. Go for it. Uh, so, uh, this chapter introduces uh, Princess Serene, um, who arrives, uh, you know, via ship in Erelone. Erelon is what I'm just gonna say because that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Anyway, um, and uh, what what she discovers when she gets there. Uh, is that her her betrothed is dead, um, which means, according to the terms of her uh, contract, the marriage contract, uh, that she's now considered to be a widow. So it's like it's as though they got married and then he died, uh, even though mm-hmm. she just got here and they haven't actually had the wedding ceremony or anything. Um, and the the man to whom she's betrothed who has died is Rayoden. Uh, so we immediately know they're like covering up this whole Sheod thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, she's kind of, uh, like, going around um, with this, like, glowing sphere called Ash, uh, who seems to be some kind of, who's something called a Seon, um, which is not really clarified at this point, but you get the vibe that these are some kind of, like, magic servants um, of some sort. Um, And, you know, Ash is, like, kind of giving her all the technical details on her marriage contract and the fact that, like, yeah, she is really, at least as far as the laws of this country, she's she's pretty much stuck. Um, and uh, she goes to the wake where the vibes are bad. Um, not just because, like, obviously, you know, it's it's the wake for, like, a prince, so it's not good. Uh, but also they, they won't let her look in the casket and um, his... Uh, the, the king, her new father-in-law, is not even there. Um, so she finds the whole thing kind of suspicious. Um, and uh, she she does eventually... Uh, she, she does, like, meet with the king, uh, who, who basically, like, brushes her off. Uh, it seems pretty clear that, like, even though legally speaking she's his daughter-in-law now and that's supposed to like mean that they have a you know political alliance um he does seem to view it as like well now that my son who you're supposedly married to is dead like you don't matter anymore um because he he brushes her off pretty rudely Mm -hmm. um and uh basically fobs her off on the queen uh who (laughs) is kind of uh misogynistically portrayed as a chatterbox um yeah yeah, you know, uh, it's it, it's like it's a little weird to say like, oh, this is misogynist when it's like in the same scene as like a, a female character who's like a full person. Um, but, you know, it is that. Um, and uh, then she Skypes her dad. Um, <laughs> With the f- she turns the, the Sion into the fucking flu network from Harry Potter because it's. Yeah. It yeah, turns pretty- into her dad's head floating next to her, and then his Sion <laughs> so turns into a big floating her head so that they can yes. chat with each other. Yes, pretty much, yes. That's that's how they, they have that's how they call each other. Um and uh you know, they they have kind of a cute conversation. It um you definitely it, it's definitely like, oh well we just had a mean rude king and now here's like a nice dad king. Mm-hmm. Um mm. Uh, and, uh, she kind of, um, you know, they, they, they talk about, like, what's happened and, and, uh, the shitty situation she's in right now. And, um, her dad is kind of like, oh, well, do you want to come home now? Like, this sucks. I can, like, throw around my political weight for you. And she's like, no, we need this alliance. It's still valid. Uh, you know, even if I'm not going to get to, like, fuck anybody now. Um, and, I mean, she uh, probably still could. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, you get the sense that, like, she actually was kind of hopeful that, like, she and Ryoden could have had, like, yeah. A, yeah. A, a, a relationship, you know? Like, like she's not uh, unrealistic about it being, like, an arranged political alliance, but, like, you know, she was hoping to, like, hang out with someone, I guess, and now she can't do that. Um, I wanted to talk about how Serini is, like, the blueprint for every other woman that Sanderson will ever write. Yes. Yeah, I... <laughs> Even though 
though I've read like two other Sanderson books, I was immediately like, oh yeah, this is just Shallon and also the girl from Warbreaker. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and Vin. Uh-huh. And Yasna. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> this is the woman that he writes. Yeah. Um, to be fair, she's a pretty like cool woman. Like I like her. Yeah, I like her a lot. I love a girl boss princess. A monarch who's also a girl boss, please. Um I have it's two very... I have two thoughts. Um one is that the the difference that I noticed between uh this being his first published novel and his other books where he's probably developed his craft more is that like the book kind of announces the ki- the type of character she is. Like she calls her dad on the pawn pilot, and um, he's like, "Oh well, you know she's a real hellion in court, and she's gonna cause a lot of trouble in court in the next like sixty chapters of this novel." And that's mm-hmm. the thing that she does. And it's like in later novels, we would just see her causing hell in court. We would just see a scene where she's stirring shit, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, like, uh, you know, it, it, it is a little... Um, um, it is very... Huh? Uh, nothing. nothing no, I, I, I it was does just going to say it's a little Shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, she... Every, like, I said blueprint because everything in this seems more basic than other things that Sanderson will write in the future. Uh, which is interesting to look back on. This is not the first novel he writ- he wrote. This is just the first one who- that got published. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, you know, many, many, many episodes from now, we will talk about the first book that he wrote, which was White Sand, which didn't even get published as a novel, only as a graphic novel. But Oh, are you um, saying that's worse? Hey. Just the way that, like you said, her gimmick is introduced, and also, like, Here's good king. Here's bad king. Yeah. Bad king says, go do your knitting or whatever women do. Bad king is specifically sexist in a way that we as earth people understand Mm -hmm. sexism. Mm -hmm. Not sexist in the way that this fictional culture would have sexism. It's very... Um, I mean... He gets much more interested in talking about what cultural norms are in later books than he is here. It, it definitely does remind me of like, I feel like when I was a little kid, um, there were a lot of fantasy novels that I read that were all about like uh, noble women dealing with misogyny, you know? Um, like, this is not meant as like a, a criticism, but that's kind of Tamora Pierce's entire oeuvre, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. Uh, can you all can still hear me okay, right? I can hear you. It seems like Nora is having trouble hearing you, and I'm trying to like silently like. I can hear you now. I keep having to exit and rejoin the call. This is the second time that I've oh, lost Tilly. Really ne- next yeah. time we will have the headphone splitter, and it will just be fine. But okay, yeah. Um, Sorry yeah, about that. that that's cool. <laughs> no, it's all good. I just wanted to make sure because. Uh, there's also the Yeah, I was like trying not to interrupt either of you while also like waving at Nora to be like, "Oh, Tilly started talking." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what I was going to say about this whole like 
you know, noble women facing misogyny thing. Um, It's very, like, the idea of what misogyny looks like in, like, this sort of pseudo-European medieval context um, is is a little cartoonish, you know? Yeah. Um, like, it, it, it's even, uh, I don't know, like, e- even if you set aside completely the idea that, like, misogyny against a princess is, like, the worst possible thing, which, like, on some level that is kind of <laughs> stupid. Um, but even even that aside, like, the, the kinds of things that are, like, misogynist tropes like the the go do your knitting or whatever. Like oh right. okay, I guess in this setting women do fiber arts. I guess that's just the same in this totally new created fantasy world as it was in like our modern conception of European history because it's also not even as it turns out fiber arts haven't always been exclusively a female thing. Huh. I, I I I I don't know an enormous amount about this, but I know a little bit about it because I used to be a knitter and kind of like a fiber arts nerd. And so like, for example, uh, for a long time in Europe, weaving was exclusively a male, like a male professional activity. Um, huh. Whereas spinning and embroidery were women's work. And like, so people often have this idea when they're doing like medieval fantasy that like all fabric production is done by like princesses in, in towers when like, you know, it's, it's a, it's an industrial activity. Are um, you saying that, more modern perspectives warped history to enforce like a a harsher gender divide among modern society that doesn't sound very (laughs) realistic something like that something like that (laughs) um we are also uh introduced oh oh actually i was having a different thought that kind of ties into what we were saying more which is that um there is, and I know I don't want to get ahead of myself too much, but um, Sexist King is also a character that shows up in the Mistborn trilogy, and as soon as he shows up, like, Sexist King shows up as a character here, I was like, oh no. Because Sexist King is the worst character that Brandon does, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and and the the king, um, Iaden, uh I believe. Uh, Iadon, maybe? Iadon, um, the, that we meet in this chapter, is like, just intolerable to me. I hope that we don't spend too much of the book dwelling on him. I imagine he will be a pretty major character, but hopefully Serene get like has a has a B plot that doesn't involve him, maybe. I will say next week we will find out that she has a rival. Okay. I love a rival. Yeah, he's great. Oh, I was excited because Girl Rival is the is the character is the Sanderson character that I like a lot. Not so much Girl Rival as um, uh, you might call him a priest rival. Okay. Oh wait a minute. Wait, so wait. Do you, never mind. <laughs> we'll get there because um, I I have only read these first three chapters, mm-hmm. so we'll get there. I guess. I just really like Grayson. That's all. <laughs> um. Oh, one last thought about this chapter is that the other person that we meet, uh, another classic Sanderson character, uh, is Magic Servant. Um, and mm, yes, uh, this was uh, Ash is like kind of nothing for me so far. Like it's interesting that Ash is a flowing ball of gas, but is mostly <laughs> mostly so far a 
like, well, it would be weird if um, Serini was just thinking all this exposition to herself, so I'll just give her a servant character that she can have exposition dialogue with and explain to you the political situation of, like, Fiordel and, like, her kingdom is going to marry into this kingdom to create an alliance. introduce magic. And introduce magic. Because there's a yeah. thing in the center of Ash. Oh, I missed that part. There's an Aeon in the oh, center. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and which... it's also, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there also kind of a vibe of, like, uh, she thought there would be more of these yes. Um, yes. seons around. Um, there's, but a, like... there's a point where she's like, oh, I heard that these were really common down here. I thought that like everyone had seons. And then uh, Ash like leaves her during the wake to go check around and see it. Um, they, it, he, she, what, what's Ash? I'm a, Ash has a, has a page on Copper Mines. We're going to risk some spoilers to... It. it. Looks like it. Also, some some cute fan art of Serene. Nice. Um, it goes off to find more sounds, and it's like, yeah, I only found a couple of them, and nobody really wants to talk to me. Okay. Um, so there was this perception that you know, down in Arlon, there was way more magic shit happening mm-hmm. than there actually is. For what it's worth, uh, the book does seem to give Ash uh, he/him pronouns. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got That's what I bit. thought, but I couldn't remember. And so yeah, then, the when... it... yeah, what I have here is uh, assuming you remain in Erlon, my lady. Ash said in his deep voice. So. Okay. So yeah, we will use he/him for Ash. Oh, um, I, I looked at the wrong sentence on this page. Okay. Okay. It was talking about the the Aeon. Uh, as, in, mm. as it, because of, yeah. Anyway, him. Him. Uh, he has a deep voice. I'm just, I'm just imagining Peter Dinklage from Destiny. <laughs> as a little floating friend. You mean Nolan North from no. Destiny? That surge finder came from the moon. <laughs> um, and the last thing... Uh, we talked about King Evan Tao. Yeah, it's like her dad. Yeah. He has a cute nickname for her. Actually, he has multiple cute nicknames for her. <laughs> um, we stand a good dad. Wow, a good dad in a Sanderson novel? <laughs> um, he isn't one of the main characters? <laughs> I'm talking about Kaladin, by the way, not Dalinar. <laughs> Are we ready to move on to chapter three? Sure. Yeah, I think I've talked about everything I've got. This is the chapter that I kind of, like, blew past me a little bit, so... This has... The first two chapters on this page have a, a paragraph each. This one has three paragraphs... Four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of, like, geopolitics in this one. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Much more so. Hraithen, Fjordel Gjorn, arrives by ship in Arlon to convert the people to Shudareth, is how this summary starts. Um, all true. All, all, yeah, that's so true. Um, basically, he shows up. He's a cool older guy in red plate armor and a cape. And he walks right on in and takes control of a small chapel to... Uh, um, 
Sorry. He... He shows up in this cool red plate armor and a cape, and he takes control of a church in Arlon that is a Fjordal church, um, specifically to dedicated to worship of Jadith. Um, basically, he has been sent by Wyrn Wolfden IV, who is the uh, theocratic ruler of the Fjordal Empire, and is considered to be the incarnation of their god, to the point that written orders from uh, the Wern, the Vern, maybe? I don't recall on this one. I'm, I'm um, sorry. Are considered scripture. He has orders to convert this culture to the Fjordal religion in three months, or else... It will be conquered and destroyed by force and brought into the Fjordal Empire. This is one of the, like I said, one of the last two remaining kingdoms not currently integrated or conquered by uh, the Fjordal Empire. Um, and so, basically, Hraithen has to do an imperialism for the good of the people living here. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. to save them, mm-hmm. not from being the wrong religion. He has to save them from the church with all the swords for being the wrong religion. He's literally on a mission. He's on a mission <laughs> from God. It, so I guess this is something that I wasn't uh, totally clear on reading this. Um, is the is the destruction that's coming in three months if he doesn't succeed in his you know holy mission? Uh, I guess I kind of thought they were saying that, like, God was going to smite them, like, with, I, you know, lightning and meteors and stuff. But, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, uh, it doesn't make sense for them to view, like, m- m- material mundane warfare as their God's uh, will, because that's the kind of religion they have. Um, yeah, I think when they say that Janeth will strike it down, they literally mean, like, the... The military conquest as an agent of Jadeth's will. Mm. Because they... That's interesting. Sorry? It, 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 I just think that, that is an interesting, like, uh, interpretation. I, like, I think you're probably right. Um, it's just kind of funny to me that they're even bothering with this three-month window, given that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess there's an... Like, I, I, what I wonder, given that, is, like, what does um, Fjordal get out of, like, converting them peacefully? Um, because, like, my previous understanding of this was, like, oh, they want him to convert this city so that they can actually rule it, as opposed to it being, like, destroyed by divine nuclear fire. Um, but if... Uh, if, if the destruction that's coming is just, like, a military conquest of, I guess, a more normal type, um, then mm-hmm. I guess, like, I don't totally understand what the purpose is of trying to convert them in the first place. It might um, it might be that, like, if they don't get converted, they will just be killed rather than, like, conquered. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, it, maybe this city has some, like, material wealth that they don't want to diminish by conquering it, would be my guess. We also only have one perspective. We only have Brayton's orders from Wolfden IV, um, mm-hmm. which 
you know, there, he makes a point in this chapter of like not showing every every context to his subordinates, and I can't, I can easily imagine not the full context being given to Raythan as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's. Yes. I I do remember. It's been four years since I read the first like twelve chapters of this book, um, for the old version of this podcast that still lurks in some corners of the internet. <laughs> um, I think we, we'll, I think next Raythan chapter will get a little more context uh, that will help this specific point. Okay. Um, but basically, that's his deal. And what he does is he goes up and he gathers all the artists, which are the priests, in this uh, Fjordel church. And he's like, well, you've all been fucking up a whole bunch. Uh, you've been lazy, and you've let shit slide, and you're speaking their language instead of the su- obviously superior Fjordel language. Um, and so Fion, who is the head Artef, is that right? High Artef? Um, or Head Artef. The Dorethi Head Artef. He sends Fionn back on a ship to go back to the main empire. Um, And uh, then encounters Dilaf, who I think I remember not caring for Dilaf. Mm-hmm. Um, Dilof is a convert to the Derethi religion. Um, he's Arlene. He's not Fjordal. Um, but we learn that, you know, Jedith has a place for everyone in his empire, even if Fjordals are more, um, more equal mm-hmm. than others. Um, and so, Hraithan basically offers him this position as his Odith, um, being sort of an assistant, and also, um, basically a slave. Uh, I think that the actual, like, authority involved there is you become basically a slave to this person, but their position in the church like de- determines where you are. Your hierarchy is as well. Where like, mm-hmm. yes, you have no, you have to do anything I tell you to, but other people have to reckon with that you have authority over them because you're the head artist, Odiv. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's not like all Odivs are the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is basically, like, in this context, it's basically a promotion for this guy. Yes. Um, a promotion into all, slavery. A pro- yes. <laughs> right. Well, but he already, like, the thing is, you know, uh, he already was a priest who had to listen to everything that this person told him to do anyway, right? Um, it's just that now he gets, now he has to listen to everything that he tells him to do personally and not just like i guess professionally and also he's actually an artist now because um fion gave uh Dilof the title of artist which he couldn't do he's you're not allowed yes. to give someone else the same rank that you have 
Mm-hmm. Um, it has to come from someone higher than that rank. And so um, he had the title, but it wasn't really actually like legit until Hrathen showed up and made it like true that he was a full Artath and a full member of this church, even though he wasn't a Fjordal person. Lots yeah. of talk about... Um, I don't know what the Fjordal clearly a very Viking mm-hmm. uh, inspired culture um, from the way that everything is written and the way that the mm. map of Fjordal has a very generic Viking video game font on the map in the book. <laughs> um, Although, like in terms of um, like the what I would say is, like, influences on the, their religion. I don't think it's very Viking-looking mm-hmm. to me. For sure. Um, uh, but, it, um... And the Ar- Arlon and Teod are very much kind of European. Uh, we get one character, Galadon, in Raiden's chapter, who's from... The Duladel Republic, which has since fallen, has recently fallen to uh, Fjordal. And he's the only person who's specifically noted to not be white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting, at least, to think about. Um, there's clearly some difference between Arlon people and Teod people and Fjordal people. But they are all white. Mm-hmm. It seems... Yeah. Um, um, this is this is a theme that Brandon will return to. Yes. The thing that is interesting, a lot of this chapter kind of went over my head a little bit because of all the proper downs. But um, the thing that is interesting to me hearing you talk about it now is the real world context of, of Brandon mm-hmm. being Mormon. And this character is literally on a mission from God to get people to start speaking the language that God speaks, Uh (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know, especially at this stage in his career, I don't know how introspective Sanderson is about the Mormon church. Mm. I don't know if, like, he's deliberately playing on these themes but it is an interesting like line that i have picked up on immediately Mm -hmm. it's it's um it's interesting to me like to me i look at uh you know the like fjordal faith and i'm like oh this is just fantasy christianity right um in terms Mm -hmm. of like uh in, in terms of the kinds of um like the the fact that it has this strict hierarchical structure and the fact that it's like totally integrated with this imperial project um and uh like also the emphasis on scripture um Mm -hmm. like not to say that christianity is the only religion that's ever done all those things but like the vibe is very fantasy christianity to me um but then like as far as whether i think that it's believable that like because it's very easy to write fantasy Christianity without realizing that you're doing it if you are, like, a Christian in a Christian society, which, um, I mean, I don't know. 
there are probably people who would argue about whether Mormons count as Christians, but I, I think for the purposes of what I'm talking about here, they certainly do in the sense that like uh, Mormonism is a, a faith that like, you know, worships Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, you've, you've, you've prompted a thought from me now, which is, does this, do you think that this becomes Brandon taking a shot at Catholicism? Is this going to yes, be a Mormonism I, versus Catholicism, like, shadow what I was struggle? About, what I was about to say is, I think that, like, okay, I don't want to put too many words in Brandon's mouth here, mm. but um, I suspect that most Mormons would see the idea of a state religion as something that they are, like, opposed to, because, I mean, you know, it, like, I believe Mormonism was banned in some U.S. states at some times, and, like, certainly it's always been a minority religion in the u.s um mm-hmm. and one that is like even though you know for someone like me who is not christian i'm like mormons catholics like same shit uh but like that's not how mormons and catholics see it um right. and uh yeah i i think that like you know um the like fjordal shit is obviously like transparently very villainous Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I definitely get the vibe of, like, part of what we're supposed to think is villainous here is theocracy. Um, mm. and I'm not sure that, like, I don't think that Brandon Sanderson recognized the ways in which the United States is a theocracy, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, in places where, you know, Mormon churches are powerful, like, they are integrated with the state, even if it's not in a formal way where like you legally have to be mormon to live in some places right Mm -hmm. um right like like mitt romney was very nearly president of the united states like like (laughs) very nearly there's a a little there's a little lifting going on (laughs) with some of those words (laughs) yeah well i I, I guess you could say he got as close as somebody could get yeah and then he ran (laughs) but I'm also just thinking about, like, how, like, in a in a community, in, in a Mormon community, right, like, the people who, like, are on, like, the city council and, like, the, the people who, like, run the local police department and that kind of thing are very yeah. likely to be Mormons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and, of course, that's the, that's the case with lots of other, um, you know, Christian denominations in different places in the U.S., um, like, I don't want to make it sound like I think that it's just Mormons. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, it's weird. Only Mormons ever run for office. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, like, there, there was, speaking of, like, people being on city councils and being the chief of police, very similar situ- situation in my hometown, and, like, the Baptist church was the biggest church there, and they're, like, you know, four of the ten city council members all went to the same Baptist church, you know, um, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's like, that's the, that's the reality of, of a lot of this country. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like the way that, uh, uh, you know, the way that Fjordan is a theocracy is much more like the kind of thing that I think Americans think of as like, oh, we don't have that. Like, we have mm-hmm. separation of church and state, so we don't have this kind of power structure, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. This is a very, like, 
like they explicitly believe that their political leader is divine. Their political mm-hmm. leader and their religious leader are the same person. And 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 yeah, that is a kind of um, a Protestant uh, <laughs> <laughs> axe to grind. A, 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 yeah, a pro, a, sort of a Protestant grudge uh, to to think about um, popes and shit. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think. You know, there's only so much we can say about this in chapter one or three, yeah. as the case may be. Um, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it. I, I'm by no means a religious scholar or a theologian or any of these other things. I have friends who are, uh, but um, I will certainly be interested to see where this goes. And I think that at, le- at the very least, some kind of um, general literary critical eye on... The themes will still elucidate something from this material, even if I don't have the real world, uh, like parallel knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes because I have no idea. Like, I only read a few chapters of this book four years ago. I don't know. Is Frayton like the main villain of the book? Is there a main villain of the book? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Shrug. One thing I've definitely been kind of thinking about, um, so, like, it's clear that when Hraithen, like, blows into town, a lot of his kind of immediate agenda is to, like, kick the asses of and, like, eject all of these, you know, corrupt artists who have been, like, uh, uh, seduced into the Aralon way of life or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like, he's mad at them for speaking their language, etc. Um but uh, there's also definitely a danger that the people back in Fjordan are going to view Hraithen in the exact same way, right? Because, right. like, mm-hmm. he's the guy who's been sent to uh, Kaye to, like, ostensibly save it. And, like, you know, when the actual war comes, because I'm sure he's not going to succeed in fucking converting the whole city in three months. Like, that's obviously yeah. impossible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, unless, you know, it's impossible short of, I guess, some weird magic shit happening, which, which could happen. But, um, like, uh, I'm assuming that in three months there's going to be a war here. And obviously I would assume that Hraithen is going to be on the Fjordan side of that war, but it's going to be after three months when he's been trying to, like, make connections and persuade people in this city. Um, so I can't imagine that his sympathies are going to be totally unmixed there. And I think his superiors will know that and probably, you know, have some kind of response to it. I don't really know what that would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see if I am wrong about it being literal war and if there is some divine m- magic nuke coming, I can also definitely see, oh, like, Hraithen is, like, trying to stop that. And that's Yeah, how. I did... I was just looking at the actual uh, the letter um, that Hraithen has, and it does make it sound like it's it's the 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 holy destruction that's coming in three months is war, not like mm, magic total destruction. Yeah, yeah. It says uh, my faithful warriors are prepared, and they wait only the word of my word. At the end of that time, the holy soldiers of Fjordan will descend on the nation like hunting predators. So, so it does sound like yeah, we are talking about soldiers arriving and they the reason they're so confident in saying that that will be the destruction is because they're so confident in the power of their army it's not like um which i think the reason that i had that idea in my head that like oh this destruction means like smiting um is because 
I honestly think it is because of um, some stuff I was reading in Moby Dick not that long ago. Uh, because of, um, there's a bit where uh, someone does a sermon on the book of Jonah. Um, and the book of Jonah is about someone who has been given kind of the same task that Hraithan has of like being told by God, okay, you got to go to this place and tell everyone there that they're being evil and they need to follow my religion and stop doing what they're doing. Um, and if you don't do that, I'm going to kill all these people. Um, except that, like, uh, that, and that happens a number of times in the Bible, that, like, some prophet or other is told to, like, go tell everyone in the city that they're evil and God is mad at them. Um, but the thing that's, like, striking in Jonah's case is that eventually it works. Uh, like, he gets there and he tells everyone, like, hey, God is mad at you. And they're all like, oh, no. And they repent and start wearing, like, sackcloth and ashes and God doesn't destroy them. Um, mm -hmm. but in that context, uh, the destruction that might be coming from God if they don't shape up is very clearly like, you know, um, like a catastrophic thing. It's on, on a scale with like getting swallowed by a whale. Um, so like that was the parallel I think that was standing out to me and making me assume that, um, that's kind of the threat. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the fact that it's not the threat does kind of, um, you know, it, do, you, it, it does leave me kind of wondering, like, okay, in the setting where, like, supernatural stuff does exist, what kind of proof of Jadith do they have? You mm. know? Like, what can... Oh, yeah. Can, can Artith, like, can Artith's, like, throw fireballs or something? Like, and if they can't... <laughs> if they can't, like, what is their claim for being, you know, the, the soul, um, the people who know the soul truth of God if there's magic powers and they don't have them? I would assume they do have magic powers, uh, but... They also... There's a brief mention of something um, where uh, Hraithan remarks that most zealots don't join this church. They're mm -hmm. usually mo more drawn to the Jaskari Mysteries, which is just a cool thing that exists. <laughs> yeah. That's where all the hardcore yeah, fuckers go. <laughs> So, yeah, that's something that I found interesting um, because it, I mean, it's obviously narrated in Hraithan's point of view, right? Um, right. Because I would say Hraithan is a zealot. Uh, like, yeah. He seems zealously devoted to his religion and, like, perfectly fine with an entire people getting basically wiped out if they choose not to follow that religion. Um, but he doesn't see his, he, he's, he's like, oh no, our organization is not a place for, like, wild-eyed zealots. That's where other people go. Mm -hmm. um, but he has logic and rationality, mm -hmm. not just right. passion. Yeah, it does seem like that's kind of the vibe, is that he's like, oh, it's people like my religion if they believe in facts and logic. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has a sword labels facts and logic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the idea that, like, uh, the idea that, that people are going to have, like, a sort of undirected zealotry that they could just sort of put in any religion is very weird. Like, yeah. That's a very, very strange perspective for someone in a feudal context to have, because that's, I mean, that is, like, only really an, a view of religion that you can have in, like you know, like a post-enlightenment context where the idea that your religion is a choice 
like mm-hmm. exists as opposed right. to and like it, it it's particularly weird in this setting mm-hmm. where like very clearly religion is like an ethnic marker right um right like we don't know I don't john imagine... Locke could exist in in elantris <laughs> maybe that's I mean... who Raymond is <laughs> <laughs> who fucking knows but like uh, the idea that you're getting the, the the way he's talking about zealots it it makes it sound as though like people in this setting are doing the thing that people do in real life where they like read up on a bunch of religions and then are like, all right, this is the one I'm going to follow. When, like, mm-hmm. I don't see how that would even be possible in in a world like this, you know? Yeah. There's um, also the possibility... <clears throat> There's also the possibility, uh, since this is only mentioned offhand, that Jaskiri Mysteries refers to a different aspect of this religion. Um, mm, yes, that would make sense. Like a, a different denomination... Or something, or like the 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 uh, Hraithan is some sort of branch of the church that goes off and does missions, and the Jaskari mysteries are people who minister to the believers or something. Fight, yeah, or fight yeah, different. <laughs> it could or, or... I, I'm I'm imagining just because he calls them mysteries, I'm imagining that they do some sort of like weird mystical shit that no one else understands. God, I hope they throw fire balls. <laughs> <laughs> I meant more like like uh, shutting themselves up in caves and having visions, but but yes, that would also that would be rule too. That would rule too. <laughs> um, I know nothing about what the magic is in Elantris, um, other than like extremely vague ideas. So I'm, you know, Sanderson likes to detail a magic system that follows an arcane thermodynamic rules. Uh, by which I mean literally arcane, not unfollowable. Um, mm-hmm. So, whatever hap- whatever's happening in this world, we'll know all about it by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did go to mm-hmm. look at the um, you know the appendix uh, after you defined what Ars Arcanum is, um, and uh, the the only thing that seems to be there for at least my copy of the book is a glossary of aeons. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is useful in that it lets me know, like, what that cute little symbol at the beginning of the chapter was. Um, at the, at the, on the first page of each of the chapters that we read, there's, like, a little glyph-looking thing in a circle. Um, and it turns out that for all three chapters, that's the Aeon. Aeon. Um, uh, the, like, the, the one that means, like, first. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I feel like we're, we're probably hitting time, especially because I have work in an hour, but, um, uh, I wanted to quickly touch on something that I just remembered because of us talking about, like, the Ars Arcanum. There is, like, a, a 10th anniversary edition of this book, um, that is, like, slightly different from the book that was first published. That's the version I'm holding right now. It's the um, 10th Anniversary Author's Definitive Edition with 10,000 words of bonus content. And I'm going to call bullshit on that. Well, okay. So, second. so uh, when I was reading up on Reddit about what the differences between the versions are, um, um, the, the it's mostly that there are some like scenes that he cut in the back. There is an additional epilogue that ties it into some Cosmere stuff, it sounds like. 
Um, is the Mad Prince. And then there is, in the actual text of the book, it sounds like some edits made. Probably not additional scenes, but, like, probably him tightening up, like, oh, this scene, like, runs too long, or, or something like that. I don't have a good se- I don't have a good sense of, like, how it's different, only that, like, there are some changes throughout the book. As far as I know, Nora and I are both reading the 10th anniversary edition. I don't know which one you're reading, Tilly. I don't imagine it'll matter too much, but I felt like it was something worth bringing up in this first episode. Yeah, I think the mine is not the 10th anniversary edition, simply because it, it doesn't say anything mm-hmm. about that, and you'd think it would. Yeah, it, it, have it would if it was the 10th one. So, yeah, you'll probably have like a slightly different version in a couple spots but the main the main thing about the 10th anniversary edition is like additional content in the back of the book not there are changes in the book but none of them sound like substantive you know yeah so i might i might get my hands on the 10th anniversary edition and like you know uh uh just to like I guess make that comparison potentially but I might also not bother to do that I don't know the, um, <laughs> I think also the 10th anniversary edition has the between um, uh, Elantris and Mistborn he put out a short story um, follow up to Elantris that I believe is just printed in this book uh, is the other big thing I think uh, the hope nice. of Elantris so cool hmm. you can't Call it deleted scenes in a book. <laughs> There's a the the idea, the the, the idea of ten thousand words of bonus content is such a like wow he really is a gamer. <laughs> he is such a gamer. That's, that's the frame rate of books. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it has like oh deleted scene the Mad Prince and it's like it's not a movie. Mm-hmm. That's not. What's next? You call the the you put some bad chapters from the first manuscript. You call it your blooper reel. <laughs> like he has a a blooper reel for Mistborn on his website, where it's like this was my original first draft of the first chapter with Vin. She was a very different character, and it sucked. Anyway, here you go, mm-hmm. and she's just a bad kind of a kind of a kind of a I guess. Just shallow, sort of femme fatale girl, mm-hmm. uh, rather than being like Vin. But, <laughs> but that's. I mean. Hmm? Oh yeah, I was just gonna say like it. I I feel like that's the kind of thing you can get away with when you have the kinds of fans who will like obsessively update your wiki. Yes. Like they. Yes. That's the kind of person who wants to read the stuff you left on the cutting room floor. That I think is going to do it for our first episode of Ars Arcanum. Um, should we make a, like an email? Probably. I mean, I got this, you, these questions from my DMs. You you really believe in like the the bespoke podcast email? I really believe in everybody should just send things to exportaudiopodcast at gmail dot com. What was that email? Exportaudiopodcast at gmail dot com. Um, if you want to make a bespoke podcast email, um, I'll edit that in. But. No, that's uh, fine. Exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Just put Ars Arcanum, I guess, in the subject line. (laughs) Um, But also, we exist on the internet. 
We do. Yeah. That's um, true. So Tilly, if someone wanted to find you on the internet, where would they go? Yeah, uh, you can find me at Char Asnablunt on Twitter. Um, it's good. It's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I stole it from Jackson. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can also hear me on a different podcast called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, um, which is on the Abnormal Mapping Network. Um, you can just find that, you know, if you type Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements into your like search thing, you'll find it. You'll find it. It's on. Yeah. Nothing else is called that. <laughs> um, uh, you find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Uh, we are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, I'm going to be uploading the third episode of Hot Singles, which is very exciting. Uh, Aeroplane is going to make a triumphant return next week. Um, we're going to try and do export soon. Um, Podcasts are happening. I don't do other work besides podcasts, thank God. Um, so yeah, Expert Audio Podcast, uh, Hot Singles, and, and then an aeroplane on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. You can find stuff I do at norablake.online. You can support this show by going to patreon.com slash exportaudio or exportaud.io and giving us a dollar or more, your choice. I, I like it when you give us more. Personally, one dollar <laughs> means that you get access to two bonus shows, which are Import Audio and Duo Lane. I do a podcast called We Are the Champions with Olivia, where we talk about League of Legends, and Duo Lane is our goof off podcast where it started out as we play League of Legends and hang out, and now it's become a Common Rider Kiva podcast <laughs> as we talk about two episodes of Common Rider Kiva every week. It's fun. Um, Import Audio is me and Hurley hanging out because we do a Mega Man podcast called Fresh Jet Radio, which is all, all of these are on the Export Audio Podcast Network. We're watching all of the Mega Man animated canon, which is like the Ruby Spears TV show, and then we're moving on to all the anime. And every month we're also playing one Mega Man video game, and it's a full franchise retrospective podcast. Um, you can find all that stuff. On the Patreon. $1 gets you the podcast. $5 gets you Stellar Missive, which is a blog that I do every month. I write about stuff. I might contribute to that someday. Maybe. Um, And, yeah. In an effort to live by the... Follow the examples of The Shrieking Shack. Okay. Um, I am reading another book. And so my personal sort of challenge as we do this podcast is that I'm already setting aside time to read Sanderson books Mm -hmm. and I'm setting aside time an extra like 20 minutes to read another book with whatever Sanderson book Mm -hmm. we're reading and currently um, I'm reading Gundam (laughs) I don't know what the book that's not a book (laughs) I I don't know what the book is actually called Uh, it is a book I know (laughs) um it's a book trilogy, really. I guess it's a trilogy. I guess that's three books. I thought it was three acts of a book. Um, it's it's the Gundam book. It's the novelization of the original Gundam anime series by Tomino himself. Uh, that's what I'm reading. I'm reading one chapter every with every batch of Elantris chapters, and I hope I can finish that book. It'll take me longer than it will Elantris, but uh, my goal is to just... Since I'm doing this podcast, I'm just going to read more books. 
I already read a lot of books, so I'm good. Yeah. Tilly got a book podcast. She's good. Yeah, your your, your meat is huge. Yeah, all, all I do, all I do is read books that are much too long, very slowly. That's 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 me. I've gotten very into short books. I love a short book. Uh, I'm reading. Long... <laughs> Dust jacket. I'm reading Tahanu right now by Ursula K. Le Guin, and then I'm probably going to read a Stephen King book because I hate myself. <laughs> After. Gundam, I have a couple of things I want to do. I'm not theming this. Mm-hmm. I'm not pairing books to the Cosmere stuff we're reading. I just have a backlog and I want to work through it. And yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Do we have a podcast? I like... Oh, you go, you go. I, I just I feel like if you were pairing books thematically to Sanderson books, I don't think Gundam would be it. I no, don't. not for this one. <laughs> Maybe I'd, if that were the case, I would save Gundam for like Stormlight. I guess? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, podcast sign-off. Um, do they sing things? In... May your heart be your guiding key. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do say things. They say the oaths, but not in this book. I will podcast even for those who hate me. <laughs> so long as it is funny. <laughs> Until next time, say the oaths. <laughs> oh.